We are kicking things off with a word from our sponsor. The new streaming service, Film Movement Plus, opens a world of award-winning entertainment, including some of the best films from around the globe. Among the hundreds of titles waiting for you to discover are some of the best films from 2020, including The Wild Goose Lake, Zombie Child, and more. Available on Roku, Apple TV, and Amazon Fire, as well as streaming online and on mobile, Film Movement Plus is priced at $5.99 a month. But as a listener of Watch with Jen, Film Movement Plus will give you a 30-day free trial plus the next three months at 50% off when you use the promo code WATCHWITHJEN, all one word. Sign up today at filmmovementplus.com. And coming this July to Film Movement Plus are a dozen new films, including an Olympic salute to the Summer Games featuring the powerful sports documentary Over the Limit, the boxing documentary Hands of God, which follows the Iraqi national boxing team and executive produced by Oscar winner Alfonso Coron, and Koza, Goat, a Slovakian drama starring former Olympians, as well as Roman Bondarchuk's Volcano, Nanny Moretti's Khan Award winner Caro Diario, Kathy Yon's feature film debut Dead Pigs, and the North American premiere of the campy film within a film, Holy Beast, starring Geraldine Chapman and Udo Kier. All of these will be debuting over the course of July on Film Movement Plus. Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and Film Intuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. Today I'm welcoming back one of the podcast's most popular guests. My good friend and pandemic movie club buddy, Jordan Harper, is here to join me once again. An Edgar Award-winning crime writer of the remarkable novel, She Rides Shotgun, and the terrific book of short stories, Love and Other Wounds, Jordan also works in Hollywood as a TV writer and producer and has been behind such series as The Mentalist, Gotham, Hightown, And he created a stunning pilot for CBS of LA Confidential that was just celebrated at the ATX Festival as well. Jordan, it is so good to have you here today. It's always a pleasure and a privilege to chat, especially because we do so often in the movie club that you're probably sick of me by now. But I want to thank you so much. How are you doing and how's spring, now summer, been treating you so far? Um, pretty good. Uh, I'm doing pretty well, generally. Okay. I uh, I didn't want to be the guy who wears the band t-shirt to the concert, but I did want to show you my Watch oh. with Jen a podcast for film lovers t-shirt here that awesome. I have, You're the best. which I believe are for sale um, from yes. Kate your Gabrielle's website. store. And you can get them, yeah, just go right to Film Intuition, click the I, shop, I, and you I, got it. I don't recall the price, but I recall that it was a bargain. Oh, and, uh, thank you. So, you know, in general, I'm doing well. LA is back, you know, uh, restaurant reservations are hard to get and uh, everybody's out, you know, um, feeling the uh, the sunshine before everything catches on fire, which should happen next week or so. So yeah, for now, we're good. Though. It's just a matter of time, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Exactly. Well, from your work now back in a writer's room on Zoom to your excellent newsletter, Welcome to the Hammer Party, available on Substack that I will link to in this post, to finishing up the novel formerly known as Hollywood Sickos and more, you've been super busy juggling a variety of projects. So how is everything going and what is that like creatively jumping from fiction to nonfiction to screenplays? Um, it's it, everything's going well. I really did. I I I did well this um, uh, pandemic as far as producing. So, you know, I don't think my agent listens to this podcast or any podcast. Um, so I, I feel safe saying I, I'm I'm hoping to send my uh, lit agent my new novel sometime this week. Okay. Cool. Um, and um, I'm I'm working on on a film project that I really hope I can talk about soon and uh, yeah I'm back in for season three of High Town which I was there for season one uh, with Rebecca Cutter who's a, a very good friend of mine and the creator of that show and so I'm really glad to be back on that and um, you know it's good to stay nimble and it's good to have like a lot of things going at once and uh, it means you don't have to slave too much on any one of them and. Um, I'm not supposed to say slave anymore. Um, <laughs> we get what you mean, though. Yeah, I didn't mean it. Um, but I, no, it's everything's going well. And uh, like I said, uh, we're in the nice time of LA where you can keep the windows open at night, and and True. it's hot during the day, and and the clouds of smoke and the horsemen of the apocalypse haven't yet descended for their yearly visit. So um, everything in general is pretty good. Yeah. And like we said, that is next week. So you mm-hmm. know, I'll check back in then basically. No, I'm just Stay kidding. tuned. Yeah. Well, one of the things I'm always so inspired by with you is the way you frequently undertake various thematic deep dives in your film viewing from early Sean Penn movies to taking a cue from our dear friend, Blake Howard. Hi, Blake. To trying to watch only new or first-time viewings in February to revisiting all of David Lynch's films, you're always working on something new. So mm-hmm. are there any recent subjects or discoveries you've made that you want to share? Uh, well, you know, uh, the first thing that I'm kind of doing right now, which is uh, hardly a discovery, is uh, I've been going through Gary Oldman's films um, yeah. in a sort of haphazard way. But, you know, sometimes it's just gaming the stats on Letterbox where I want to, uh, oh, let's get those Gary Oldman numbers up. So, you know, um, yes. I, I made our, our film club watch Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. Mm-hmm. Um, I've uh, just rewatched Leon, which is such a great movie in like nine different ways. And then, wow, is it creepy? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was it was creepy when it was The Professional, but I, I you know, I was a teenager the first time I saw The Professional. Yep. And they edit out some of those parts um, yeah. when you watch The Professional. And now as an adult and you watch Leon and you go, ooh. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think Gary Oldman, it's wrong to call him underrated because that would be sort of a ridiculous thing to say about him. If you ma- named the great actors of our time, he would come up fairly quickly and he's won his Oscar and, and, and all yes. that. But uh, he is still, I just, uh, even back in the 90s, I just remember saying, even as like a teenager, anybody who can play Dracula, Sid Vicious, and Lee Harvey Oswald um, in, in a space of a couple of years yeah. is a really an exceptional uh, actor. So I've been really enjoying um, going back and seeing him. I was just telling you before we started recording, I've been watching the films of uh, Christian, is it Pertzold or do you know? I think it might be Petzold. I'm not Petzold. sure. Petzold? Yeah. Uh, 
a member of, I, I learned all this from Mubi, which I will again yes. continue to, to push Mubi as, as the superior streaming service. Um, and, uh, you know, so he does these very, I would just say he takes film noir and films them very Germanly, which yeah. is to say uninflected and, and uh, without a lot of camera trickery or passion or mm-hmm. heavy scores. They're all very minimalist. And, and I mean, I know, I know you know this, but I'm just, uh, you know, he, he takes these familiar uh, tropes and really does interesting and, and uh, things with them. Uh, Jared Chow is, I think, my favorite one that I've watched so far, which yes. is the the Postman Always Rings Twice. Um, Great film. Yeah. Uh, and so I really, and again, that's just, you, you think you have free will, but really it's just that Mubi is slowly rolling his movies out every couple mm-hmm. of days. And, and so I just, after seeing three of them advertised, I was like, okay, I'll find out who this guy is and, and started yes. watching those. Um so yeah, I've been, uh, those, uh, you know, I had that spate, which you were kind to send me a couple of Ringo Lamb movies. Um, I've been doing some Hong Kong crime, but um, yeah. those were just revisiting things. Um, I think what else I've been um, really enjoying um, the new streaming service, Night Flight. That's a. Oh, really? I don't know that one. Well, it's it's based on the old TV show Night Flight, which is a like kind of proto MTV show that I think aired on the USA Network, but I, I could be wrong about that part. And so Night Flight was just like a late night, you know, um, kind of stoned MTV music video show that started in the '80s. And so the Night Flight um, streaming service has a actual episodes of Night Flight with like ads from the 1980s included oh, cool. in them. Yeah, it's very cool. They have, you know, deals worked out with um, different record labels. So like um, I was going through their sub pop collection yesterday that had a little like three video collection from the band Low. And then I watched another one from Slater Kenny. Um, they also have a huge number of like rock and roll documentaries, kind of oh, cult films, nice. um, a lot of like weird horror and wrestling documentaries and and when i say cult i mean like literally like um i watched a a film called arise which i had watched back in the 90s which is from the church of the subgenius which was like an ironic cult in the 90s that was kind of a a parody of of cults and and um it's really a scientology parody but uh, the movie arise is actually kind of fun and weird and actually recommended it's it's mostly made up of found footage from the uh 40s and 50s little clips um, mm-hmm. of things like that. And so, yeah, just uh, it's it definitely, you know, I like that horseshoe of, of high and, and low brow and, and yeah. night flight is definitely, uh, I was telling our friend Travis about it, Travis Wood, and uh, I said it, it, you could basically call it the things Jordan used to get stoned and watch channel. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> that was probably their name. They were marketing it and then yeah. they're like, He'll find it if we go with night flight, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, yes. But yeah, well, that's, a, that's kind of long and short of it. More that's long. a lot of cool stuff. I'm going to have to check <laughs> some of it out. So speaking of your film viewing, I was so thrilled in May when we talked about you coming back and you suggested taking a sharp left 
away from the expected genre of crime films to veer instead into the filmography of Preston Sturges, who was being highlighted on Criterion Channel at the time. A huge fan of the audacious, inventive, and subversive producer, writer, director. It'd been a while since I revisited his movies, so I couldn't wait to do just that. So what is your relationship like to Sturges? Have you always been a fan of his? Or do you remember the first movie of his that you saw or the one that might have had the biggest impact on you? Well, it, it's funny because I did not intend this when I suggested this to you. But I, the last time I was on here, we, we did an epic dive into David Mamet. Yes. Um, and I learned about Preston Sturges through David Mamet. Um, Oh, really? Yeah, I can't remember which of the books it's in, but there are there is a book where he just sings the praises, um, specifically of the Miracle of Morgan's Creek, and I think um, the Lady Eve, and okay. um, you know, just kind of extolling like their perfect structure and and mm -hmm. and the joy they are to watch, and and you know, so many other things, the the way that they can both be serious and, and extremely entertaining at the same time, and. Um, yeah, another thing that you could tease out some other uh, similarities between uh, Mamet and uh, Sturgis. I think the most obvious one I noticed on this watch through was that they both really like um, having their own stable of actors who they use and use and use. Yes. And so I can see his appeal to it. And obviously, um, you know, the the Coen brothers, is. Uh, I think we can wait to talk about their connection. Sure. But, um, but no, it was, it was through Mamet and it was through those books and... and his description of the miracle of, of Morgan's Creek was so fascinating to me. And then I watched it and, you know, there's that feeling you have every once in a while when you watch a very old movie and discover something new that is so mm -hmm. thrilling. Cause when you're a, a child or a teenager, at least I was, there's that attitude that like, you know, the past was old and lame yeah. and maybe there was a few good things, but like it was old and, and lame and, and to watch something I mean, obviously, look, we can get into the Miracle Morgan's Creek and there are certainly some antiquated views in it, but yeah. it is so sharp and interesting. It, it kind of had that that shock of understanding that the, the human mind is always the same in the same way that I felt um, like I have a very strong memory of the first time I saw Cary Grant on screen. Um, oh, do you? Yeah, yeah. I was in college and I was watching, I, I don't even know how it came on, the first 20 minutes of His Girl Friday Okay. And, and just being like, who the, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> and, um, and like, he was just so funny and charming and just being mm -hmm. like, um, and, and becoming a gigantic uh, Cary Grant fan. And uh, Miracle in Morgan's Creek uh, had that same effect for me. I mean, there's still a lot of uh, Sturgis's movies I haven't seen, but um, I've realized that I'm not a completist in my oh, case. Yeah. Most of the time, I'm more mm -hmm. of a find my three favorite things and rewatch those over and over again. Um, so I've seen The Miracle of Morgan's Creek a lot. Okay. Um, I've seen these other ones a couple of times. I've seen Lady Eve uh, quite a bit. And although I, I'll probably want to talk the most about Sullivan's Travels, I love it. I haven't seen it as me. There's something about, and we'll get to it, The Miracle of Morgan's Creek. And mm -hmm. it could just be it was the first one I watched. Oh, that could be, um, but, yeah. You know, and and again, just this idea that back in, in this era, there was somebody this funny and this subversive who was a writer, director, and, um, you know, was making this movie, like, literally during World War II. Exactly, um, yeah. And, 
while there's certainly again not to jump into that film but like while there's propaganda in it it is also like wildly subversive and yes. interesting and um you know so i think that to me is always going to be my connection to him is is mostly through that movie but also just that idea of this like early vision obviously there were other auteurs working at that time you know he names several of them in sullivan's travels but yes. like um you know, I don't know. There's just something that I, he, his movies feel quite modern to me mm -hmm. um, or, or at least eternal because there's a lot of things that he does that are completely out of fashion, such as funny names, very funny names. Yeah. Um, telling jokes, slapstick and, and things like that, that um, are not quite in vogue right now, but the, you know, the attitudes. And, and again, I, when we get to Sullivan's travel, I have a lot to say about how I really think it should be required viewing here in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so, I mean, that was kind of, and I can't remember what we were talking about doing before I came up with Sturgis, but it was literally, I saw the Criterion Collection had all of his movies streaming mm -hmm. at the time. They took them away almost the moment we agreed to do this podcast. I know, of course they did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but that's okay. So now I own a couple of these on Criterion and yeah. um, on, on Blu-ray and um can't regret that so yeah yeah nice little excuse you mentioned mammoth and that's perfect because of when i was watching these i was realizing that screwball films have a lot in common with classic film noir and gangster pictures because they are so stylized they have their own logic rhythm and the dialogue is often musical in its pitch are there any lessons you've taken from this genre when it comes to crime writing before we get into sturge's work more specifically um, you know, I don't know if there are any like specific lessons I can really think to to draw on other than, you know, the essential message. And again, it's it, it's something we'll talk about a lot in Sullivan's Travels of, you know, your first job is to entertain. True. Um, and I yeah. look, entertain can mean so many different things. And mm -hmm. uh, so often people want to take that to... Um, mean that it's dumb or or slight or anything mm -hmm. like that but um you know you can't be smarter than his girl friday you know yeah. you can't you can't be smarter than that and um you know there's a there's so many of these movies that i i do love even like the dumbest screwball comedy that i love is the bachelor and the bobby soxer oh that one is a riot yes shirley temple yeah uh, which is yeah. the only Shirley Temple as not a toddler movie I've ever seen. I, I'm okay. sure she did other ones, yeah. but um, I actually really like her in it. And I, I do, I love Cary Grant. Um, yes. I, I love the Philadelphia story. One of my um, favorite movies. Yes. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. You're going to notice a, a trend here, which is that they all have, I, I'm a huge Cary Grant fan. So I'm mostly going to. This is amazing. I guess I didn't. Oh yes. I did know you loved Cary Grant. Yeah. Oh, by the way, we can do next time. I mean, yeah do Cary Grant movies. It's yours. Yep. Um, no, I think he's the one true movie star. Um, I agree. Yep. You can, you can say other people are movie stars, but you are comparing them yes. to Cary Grant. Um, yeah. Even Cary Grant compared them to Cary Grant. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, uh, so, but yeah, I think, you know, the, I, the things that I like about Screwball that I, I do in a lot of what I do is the speed, mm -hmm. um, uh, the emphasis on plot, Yes. The uh, character revealed through plot. I mean, uh, Miracle of Morgan's Creek is is nothing but character revealed through plot after plot after plot. Yeah. And um, 
I, I really enjoyed those aspects. And like I said, the idea that like first you're entertaining and once you have the audience, then yeah, you want to tell a heartwarming story. You want to make mm-hmm. a point. You can do all that. Um, but um, I think that uh, that to me is like their real appeal. And uh, the other appeal of them is uh, Cary Grant. Yes, definitely. Cary Grant doesn't star in any of these movies, but a lot of other favorites, of course, yes. definitely are. So launching into Preston Sturge's filmography, we will be discussing four of his most famous works from his enviable run of hits in the early 1940s. The Lady Eve, Sullivan's Travels, both of those were from 1941, 1942's The Palm Beach Story, and The Miracle of Morgan's Creek from 1943. And while all of these movies are also sparkling and original that despite the zany, intricately convoluted plots, it's really impossible to spoil a Sturge's picture because they must be seen to be believed. Those unfamiliar with his work might wanna proceed with caution here. Easily the most famous American writer director of his era, the one that kind of got them all started. Preston Sturges got his start as a successful screenwriter in Hollywood before he talked Paramount into paying him $1 for his latest film script for The Great McGinty. It took him seven years to get a yes, but they had to give him the chance to direct it, humoring him. Although Paramount figured he would hate the job and they changed the terms to $10 because they thought, $1 sounded a little too illegal. The studio bosses were shocked when Sturgis delivered a hit movie and walked away with the Oscar for Best Screenplay in 1940. One year later, he directed two of his most famous films, starting with the con man romantic comedy, The Lady Eve, starring Barbara Stanwyck and Henry Fonda, a beautiful con woman, who works alongside her card sharp father and his partner on an ocean liner coming from Brazil to New York. Stanwyck sets her sights on Henry Fonda's bookish ophiologist and heir to an ale fortune, seducing him before she herself begins to have feelings for her mark. After she gets her heart broken, Stanwyck decides to even the score fast-paced, frank, and very, very funny, the film, loosely based on Moncton's Hoffa's short story, Two Bad Hats, was first assigned to and written by Sturges in the late 1930s, but it was deemed too sexy by the Hayes office, requiring a rewrite. Still feeling very much like a 30-something screwball comedy, this one still sizzles today. What are your thoughts on The Lady Eve? I want to, you know, if you would like to find a different word, I will use a different word because the only word I have for this is this is a horny movie. Like this it is, is such a horny movie. No, you're fine. It is really like the scenes, uh, particularly early on. And, yes. Um, I do think this is a movie that peaks early and then sl- slides down. I'm with you. Yeah. When they get uh, off the boat, I think. Yeah. Not as good. Yep. Not as good. And um but the the early scenes uh, when she sets his sight, her sights on seducing him and then they go back to her room mm-hmm. and they're like laying on the couch. It, it is as dirty as you can be while two close yeah. people are just not kissing. Yeah. Um, no. And um, it really sort of overwhelms the movie in a way. Like 
it, yes. it is through ball comedy and particularly later on it, it really reverts to like you know mistaken identities or you know she basically pulls a Clark Kent and changes her clothes and, and nobody recognizes her mm-hmm. in the second half of the film. But the first part where they are just, you know, you're watching a sort of, I, I don't know how classic it was at the time, but now a classic setup of, of a woman pretending to be someone she's not in order to seduce a rich man yeah. and then falling in love. Um, and, you know, they're sparkling in the, the, you know, it's very funny. It's also like yes. a very, very funny movie. But just the raw, I don't know how to say it, it's like the raw animal attraction between these two actors oh, yeah. is mm-hmm. so intense that you're just, it's its distracting. And then when, <laughs> uh, when it ends, like I said, the, the movie loses it a little, but like there's so much fun to be had with like her fear of snakes, mm-hmm. um, the constant attempts from, is it, it's not literally her father, it's the other con artist who pretends to be her father, or is he really her father? I forget. I think he really is her father, but then there's the other guy. Then there's the other guy. Um, And they're like, um, again, sort of pre-con artist. Like the con artist as a character isn't that popular, I think, at this period in in movie time. No, yeah. Where they're basically like running coolers and, and, you know, slipping decks and and forcing hands. And it doesn't play a huge part of the movie, but it's it's very enjoyable to watch. And it, it feels... Like a, a later film would spend so much more time, or David Mamet. You're talking in a movie yes. that David Mamet recommended to me. <laughs> I mean, not literally, but in a book. Yeah. Um, you can see all the things that he loves in in those scenes of of uh, artifice and cons, but um, no characters in David Mamet movies are ever allowed to be human enough for those no. scenes uh, between the two of them. Um, and so for me, that's just that's the part of this movie that. Um, yeah, just really shines is uh, the horniness. It really is. Like when she is watching him from afar and sizing up all of the women, um, trying to catch their eye because he's a rich man, eligible mm-hmm. man on the ocean liner. It's hilarious. Yeah. It starts out with all the double entendres. And then it was, I believe in the Criterion essay, uh, was it was describing like you really, there is almost no double. Like the entendre, I mean, Mm-hmm. It's, they're going for it essentially and it is just so funny the amount of attraction between the two I mean you should be kept in a cage it is very sizzling and it's yeah. interesting you bring up Mammoth and you can see that a little bit there's like a grifters kind of vibe with you can see maybe Freer's watch this movie mm-hmm. also on the um Criterion disc. There was a Zoom chat. Uh, one of the participants was Ron Shelton. You can really see like Ron Shelton watching this movie and then thinking about the women of his films like Tim Cup and Bull Durham and White Men Can't mm-hmm. Jump, like the sexy, smart women. I think what I love is it's a play of the genders. Like mm-hmm. the woman in this one is the seducer. He's the virgin. Usually it's yeah. the other way around of, you know, the you know, older or worldlier man is corrupting the, you know, naive virgin. And in this case, it's, you know, Barbara Stanwyck is corrupting uh, Henry Fonda, who's been up the Amazon for a year. Good thing it wasn't two years. I mean, the amount of little jokes that they work in, it's just great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it is. And and it's also the first, I think the we talk about the repeating actors, um, the one actor who I think is in all four of these, and I, there might be more, is William uh, Demarest or Demarest. Demarest, he's yeah. so great. Yeah, he really he's is. part of that stable. 
and uh, in this, he's Muggsy, the uh, the the very suspicious uh, bodyguard, scene stealer. Yeah. Yes, and, and the the one person who is so suspicious of the woman who is identical to the con artist that they find on the boat that he thinks it might actually be the con artist when it's yeah. like very clearly her. Yeah. It was different back then when you didn't have a thousand selfies of people. This idea that you read about in the past of somebody like coming home after like 30 years and going, no, I'm Frank and they're not, <laughs> but everybody's like, I don't, I don't remember what Frank looks like. Yeah. Um, it was just a few uh, months ago I met this woman on the boat, but you know, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. it's a lot like her, but yeah. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's such a thoroughly charming movie and, uh, and just a, a tremendous amount of fun. And it, yeah, if it has a fault, it's that it, it peaks and then it just, the, yeah, they get off the boat. It's that classic thing. Uh, if you're, if your uh, show is based on a, on a bus, don't get off yeah. the bus. Um, I know. <laughs> making the, the famous Lady Eve to speed comparison there. There you go. Yeah. Well, that's kind of a recurring theme, though, in Sturgis movies of especially Americans taking things at face value. Like, mm -hmm. no, I'm not the same woman. I'm, I, he also liked playing with the classes. His yes. mother, of course, was a socialite and was best friends with Isadora Duncan. So he was overseas uh, in boarding schools and, you know, going to all the classics, ballet, things that he didn't really love. He liked being back home with his adopted father in Chicago. And so I love the idea that it is Demarest, the uneducated, unwealthy participant who sees through it like, you guys, this is not the same, you know, this is not somebody new from England with her, you know, Barbara Stanwyck doing a British accent and going to town. It's very funny. But yeah, I love that he's the one who completely positively the same name he gets it yeah yeah, yeah. it's um no that's true and i you know there are other films here we can get into like the class issues that he sometimes handles well and sometimes i think uh fumbles a little bit a little and bit I, yeah uh from a place of of what feels like immense privilege and um yeah. in solvent's travels he's aware of it and i think in a couple of the other movies uh or in one in particular he's he's not but um you know, uh, it is, it's an interesting aspect to his, again, it's, it's, it's all these mild subversions that mm -hmm. he, he kind of gets into while still being able to, you know, he butts heads with the Hayes code constantly, but he stays yeah. with inside the lines. Um, he does. Yeah. When we get to miracle of Morgan's Creek, I guess that movie started production with only 10 approved pages. So I read I that. Yeah. I can't of how, even imagine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. How they got away with things, definitely. Is there anything else you want to add on the Lady Eve? No, I think that's. I think that's the Lady Eve. It's. A, I mean, uh, a other film. than watch it, you should yes. definitely watch it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, next we have the film that I think most movie lovers consider to be his best, and I absolutely agree. Even if it's not the one that I watch the most often, that one is coming up. Sullivan's Travels, which is written as a Swiftian satire in Hollywood, chronicles a film director played by Joel McRae, who, tired of making amusing trifles, is eager to make a film about the poor working man, hoping to adapt the fictional novel, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? 
sound familiar? Of course. Mm-hmm. Joel McRae decides that in order to put his finger on the pulse of America, he, he will pose as a homeless man looking for work, striking up an alliance with a beautiful, aspiring actress played by Veronica Lake, who's ready to turn her back on Tinseltown after After she buys the man she assumes is destitute, a good breakfast, she is taken into his confidence and joins him on his journey, which ultimately makes him realize the value in making comedies for people to escape with, as opposed to sermons or hard-hitting works that are purported to be about their daily struggles. A moving work that changes style and tone often. This film, I've always assumed, is Sturges giving himself and his contemporaries a pep talk, defending Hollywood and answering any critics or snobs who feel like the only worthwhile stories are docudramas that cut right to the core of who we are as Americans. There's a lot to unpack with this film, and I'm eager to know what your take was on Sullivan's Travels. You said you had a lot of ideas. Well, it's just, it's something that cuts very close to the, just what I think about art and, and yes. entertainment, which is, like I said earlier, that that entertainment is your first job, or the way I've taken to thinking about it now is that your job is to create a vivid and sustained dream in the viewer or the reader and that's literally your only job and anything mm-hmm. else that occurs is great. Like if you make a point yeah. about the working class, great, but only if that point serves the dream because your job is mm-hmm. to create a dream. If you want to go help the poor, there are lots of great jobs that do that. They don't pay as well, which is probably part of why these people aren't doing that. But, but, yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's just really important that we understand that stories have value as stories. Yes. And and that that is a human necessity and a human good. Mm. And there is a current vogue that needs things to be about things or to be important Mm -hmm. in some way. I actually have a quote, and this was, you remember back like, I don't know, a decade ago when we were all, that was more than a decade ago, filling out our Facebook profiles 15 years ago, whatever it was. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and you could have you, you, the little space for where you could put a quote. Mm-hmm. So here was my quote back in 2006, and it is from the Coen brothers. Okay. If someone goes out to make a movie that isn't designed primarily to entertain people, then I don't know what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> What's the Raymond Chandler line? All good art is entertainment, and anyone who says differently is a stuffed shirt and juvenile at the art of living. Um, Interesting. And I, yeah. I like that they fold in Raymond Chandler there, who, again, a, a connection between crime mm-hmm. and the same idea that, you know, your first, and it's something you can see in the Coen brothers over and over again, which is, mm-hmm. um, I mean, they don't always make perfect movies, but they make serious art that is incredibly fun to watch. It is. Yeah. And, is. you know, as you tipped, as you acknowledged while you were, you were introducing the film, you know, uh, the whole brother, oh, brother, where art thou is clearly inspired by this film. But I think Barton Fink is heavily inspired by this film. Yes. Um, and I just, I think the trick to it is, and there's, there's a lot to discuss, is Sullivan in the movie, his realization comes while watching extremely light, 
fair that, Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if we want to, the shortest version of the movie is he goes out, he experiences all this hardship. um, And at the end of the film, he is in prison Mm -hmm. at a work camp, which is as miserable a life as you can about have. And it's movie night and they go and they watch a goofy cartoon. Yeah, Playful Playful Pluto, the 1934 Disney cartoon. Yep, that's what they're watching. And they just laugh and laugh. And, yeah. and, and he realizes that that is actually what these people need, that he can give them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but the difference is, and I think this is the important part, is Sullivan's Travels is not just a goofy Pluto cartoon. Not at all. No. Um, what he actually is saying, when you look at what the film is itself, is you can do both. Or as I'm sure I've said to you before, my- Why not both? Por que las, no las dos? Like, yeah. uh, why not both? And I think that, you know, it, it's a film that would be a lot of people that I meet with and work with here in Hollywood, I think would be very well served to watch and understand that like, this is the job, this is the gig and it's beautiful. And and the Sullivan's turn in it to understanding that what, you know, the the ability to- make people laugh and forget their lives and, and to be swept up is like such it's noble in and of itself Mm -hmm. and and doesn't require, you know, the kind of suffering that he engages in is similar to things you will sometimes see online, not so much anymore, but maybe 10 years ago where in order to get a, a reporter will like go and sleep overnight in a homeless camp. Yeah. You know, to write. Yeah. It's a little gimmicky. It's a Mm -hmm. very, um, you know, uh, the idea that if you experience something for one night is anyway similar to having that yeah. truth of your existence. Um, but, in, you know, he does all this, um, like you said, with, with with the ability to switch tones between being ridiculous and then there is a, like a very moving montage of the working poor. Yes. Um, that I think he does very effectively. And there's all the great scenes with, we haven't really mentioned uh, Veronica Lake, who is spectacular in this movie stunning yeah oh she's so stunning and she is her most beautiful i think yeah i i agree i believe is this the movie that you see in la confidential when kim basinger is screening a film i believe so yeah it is her in the car Mm -hmm. um while they're just riding and and because kim basinger in la confidential yep is cut to or not cut but is dressed to look like veronica lake yes um, and it is, yes, I think it's specifically this movie with her little, the wavy hair. I just the, said the wavy yeah, hair. Yeah, the peekaboo mostly. hair. Yeah. Peekaboo hair. That's such a great, because it covers part of her face. Is that I the, know. Yeah. And it was getting uh, factory workers in trouble. It was getting caught in things. So oh. they, they had to have her publicly get her hair cut. And she did some, yeah. So that oh, way it would not be in fashion in, anymore. And she did some like public service announcements, which is very, very funny. Oh, but, I didn't yeah. know. That's great. Yeah. Um, and did I see you say somewhere online that she was four foot 11? She's four foot 11. She was also six months pregnant. Yeah. I know. Wow. I love the way that they use trickery. You never see a baby bump or no, not baby at all. bump in it at all. I guess uh, Sturgis had no idea she was pregnant until they started shooting. And he was pretty furious about that when he found out because he didn't want anything to happen and wasn't sure if she should do the film. But he has a way of making, I mean, they all, they all did back then. Um, you've got Joel McRae, who is six mm-hmm. foot two. 
And he makes the leading ladies look just lithe and long-legged. There's a joke coming up in Palm Beach story about uh, Claudette Colbert, who's famous for her legs in uh, It Happened One Night as, you know, a long-legged gal, and she's 5'5". Five five. So mm-hmm. it's it's fun to see them use trickery. And, I mean, you would believe that Veronica Lake is very tall, except in those scenes where they're both dressed up like the tramp, uh, very Chaplin-esque, next to each other. Mm-hmm. When she basically looks small enough where Joel could probably put her in his pocket. But, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. You brought up the Coens and Barton Fink. I can also see Hudsucker Proxy a little mm-hmm. bit as being Sturgis. Hail Caesar. Mm-hmm. But even something like Miller's Crossing, like um, the Danny Boy sequence, seemed a little bit like something that maybe he would have taken from some of the crazy bit players or supporting players. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, and I think what's great about this movie is it's Sturgis, I guess he was kind of wanting to speak directly to people like Leo McCary uh, or Lubitsch and Capra, some of these people that in the film actually do get shout outs who were starting to make message movies, like capital mm-hmm. M message movies, like not just entertainment, but entertainment um, designed to make a point. Maybe the point is what they first invested in as storytellers. So yes. I thought that was interesting. Uh, Sullivan is kind of playing a similar character to maybe a Leo McCary a little bit. He's made movies like Hey, Hey in the Hayloft, Ants in Your Plants, 1939, which could be like, you know, Gold Diggers of 33 or 35 or some of the movies mm-hmm. that they were making back then. So Long, Sarong. I was getting the biggest kick out of all the movies that they were throwing yeah. out. I think it's also just an exceptionally beautiful film, Um, especially right away when they're in the screening room and he's having that conversation with his producers of like, I'm done making these comedies and I want to make Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? He goes in the next room and I mean, you have the rat-a-tat of um, repetition of lines, which is very Cohen's, you know, like... Mm -hmm. I want to make points and then, but with a little sex, but with a little sex, I don't want to stress, you know, stress it. And then they punch that like three or four times in the whole conversation. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah. No, it is. It's a really, I agree that while I I haven't watched this one the most, it is, it is the best of his movies. And it, it, it's, it, it, because again, it makes its point with so much fun and, Mm -hmm. and, yeah, and again, uh, to bring back Mamet, it's another reason why Mamet would love him is, is Mamet rails against message yeah. uh, stories. Um, particularly, and he's correct, that normally the normal message in a message story is something that the audience is already going to agree with. That Yes. You know. Yeah, if, and they'll be like patting themselves on the back a little bit right. or the choir. Yep. Yes. I knew the whole time that racism was bad and therefore... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel morally superior to the people that exactly. were watching in this film, as opposed to, and again, not to jump ahead, but uh, something like Miracle of Morgan's Creek with like a very complex mm-hmm. moral message that um, I don't think most of the audience was quite on board with at the time. And and that's yeah. much more interesting, but still, again, uh, that doesn't drive that film either. All of these mm-hmm. films are, are driven by a, a story that reach a logical end, you know, again, with some leaps, the, um, need to frame yourself for your own murder to get free feels like a lot but yeah it works it works and you know it's he's a very good plot yeah 
he's very willing to wrap up a movie in three pages. Um, yes. And, and he definitely does that here. It's like, we've, I've made my point, and now it is time for me to engineer the end of this film yeah. as neatly as possible. And it turns out his wife has married another man, so now he can get divorced and marry Veronica Lake. I know. And um, I will say, I don't know if, if this was a Hays Code thing that throughout the body of the film, Veronica Lake is more or less throwing herself at him. And mm -hmm. he seems not to notice for a large part of the film. That was actually the Hays Code came down on the fact that they were traveling together. They were not supposed to make it look like they were sexually involved at all. And so I think he wanted to get across that it was romantic. I mean, she's even calling him big boy. You know, it's very um, early 40s. But he's not totally reciprocating. I think also because in the eye of the viewer, even though it's a marriage in name only, he's a married man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but kind of this movie does the same thing of um, Barbara Stanwyck sort of playing two parts that nobody notices as, you know, I'm going to frame myself for my own murder, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So one of those crazy things. This one, I feel like was a step backwards in terms of its female character but i mean oh, you can't you can't have everything i mean she's just known as the girl which is kind of a very charlie chaplin sort of character so it sort of fits whereas i think the strongest female character is the one we just talked about the stanwick in um the lady eve by far but it's a blast i i think this movie really makes a lot of good points about hollywood but does it as such an entertaining film. It's also very moving and very tragic. I mean, it really hits hard there at the end. I think this was a good thing for him to make in the early 40s because at the time and in two of the pictures, um, you know, there are a couple of times where uh, black characters are treated as punchlines and it's yeah. really hard to watch, especially in Palm Beach story a bit, which I was going to say in Palm Beach yeah. story. It's really yeah, hard it's, it's hard. The secretary of the NAACP actually wrote to Sturgis out of gratitude when it came to this movie. Um, he said, I want to congratulate and thank you for the church sequence in Sullivan's oh, yeah. travels. So it takes place at a black church he said it was one of the most moving scenes I have seen in a moving picture for a long time, but I'm particularly grateful to you as are a number of my friends, both white and colored for the dignified and decent treatment of Negroes in this scene. So he really um, wanted to praise uh, Sturgis for that. And I thought that was good. And it's a pity that a year later then um, he didn't get the memo again when it came to uh, Palm Beach story, but you can't have everything. Yeah. No, it's still a, a product of his time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we can talk about it a little more in Palm Beach story, but uh, no, yeah. I did the, the, the church scene is very nice. And, and, you know, several times for all his talk about um, not doing messages, the, the message comes through pretty heavy. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's not, it's not a subtle film. No, no. And that's okay. That's, that's yeah. totally fine. And that was a moment that is both beautiful and a little heavy of like, we're getting serious here, but it, it is a beautiful scene actually. So I'm not yeah. complaining about it. Yeah. So it's a great film. Do you have any other things you want to add on this one? 
No, I mean, I think I, 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 I've ranted enough. I can talk for a really long time about, you know, my opinions about how important it is to absorb this message if, if you create um, stories for a living. Um, but I, I would more or less be circling the same things over and over again. But yeah. it's a great movie and people should yes, watch it. Absolutely. Well, if Sullivan's Travels is to me Sturge's best film, then this one is definitely my personal favorite of the lot. The wacky and highly imaginative screwball comedy, The Palm Beach Story, reteams Joel McRae with Sturges and pairs him up with Claudette Colbert, who Sturges originally had in mind for the Stanwyck role in The Lady Eve. In The Palm Beach Story, Colbert and McRae are a wildly in love married couple who've fallen on hard times financially, a dreamer with a crazy idea to build an airport suspended over a city by wires. McRae's in debt, and after Colbert has a memorable interaction with a wealthy old man who gives her $700, essentially just to cheer her up because she's beautiful, she decides she needs to leave McRae and go hunting for money and a rich husband in Florida, because why not, I suppose. Managing to hitch a ride aboard a train alongside some unhinged members of a gun club, the Ale and Quail Club. After she has a dangerous run-in with them, she seeks solace with a very wealthy traveler, played by Rudy Valley, who falls for Colbert hook, line, and sinker until her husband shows up and must pose as her brother. That old chestnut. Exceedingly convoluted, and that's not even counting the insane prologue and montage concluding shots. I've always loved this one as a, amazingly outdated at times as it is. How about you? What are your thoughts on the Palm Beach story? Oh, this is this is interesting, I think, uh, because I'll, I'll be honest, this is probably my, my least favorite okay. of, of his movies, which is no way makes it a bad movie. No. It's still it's still a good movie, but it's certainly of the four that, that we're talking about, the one that I think has made the least impression on me. I'm fascinated to hear that he wanted um, Claudette instead of um, Stanwyck. Uh, her name just was yeah. Stanwyck. Mm -hmm. um, I, I find Stanwyck a, a lot more charming. I'll be. Uh, I just I if I had to, to summarize why I'm a little hesitant about this movie is I don't particularly like the people in it. Oh really. Not even yeah. Joel McRae at all? No? I No, I, I mean, I like him a, a lot more in Sullivan's Travels, obviously. He's fine. I, I, can I ask just like a dumb plot question? Sure. So at, at the, and if this is explained or, or they, at the beginning of the film, they are, they are portrayed as both broke and living in the absolute lap of luxury. Yes. And <laughs> I, I agree with you. It doesn't make a lot of sense there. No. No, and I so I did when I said earlier that I felt there were other um, there were some of his films that didn't handle class quite as well. I, I I have to admit I'm a little mystified by who these people are exactly supposed to be. Um, in that they they basically they are living in the lap of luxury and cannot afford to do that any longer. I'm not trying to be a killjoy, by the way. Oh no, not um, at all. But um, they are living in the lap of luxury and can't afford to do that any longer and therefore must get divorced. Yes. Well, um, there's still some question about who exactly they are. I, I love the opening and the close of this movie. It's very daring. Mm -hmm. It's very cynical. And it goes back to, um, by this point, I don't know if he was on wife number three at this point or 
about ready to stop being three and going on to wife number four. His first two wives walked out on him. Um, mm -hmm. They were very well-to-do women. He'd been very unlucky in love. Actually, that's why he started writing. I saw this today and it just blew my mind. Um, I think in the documentary, which is included on the Sullivan's travels, it, it says that he had an appendicitis attack and came upon a book, a study of drama while convalescing. But there was an interview with Sandy Sturges, his uh, widow at the time of his death, who was extremely young. And so she had all these great stories about him and she was interviewed and she said, that basically what had happened is Sturgis, who spent money like water, basically. Uh, they had a lot of money. He never really thought about how much things cost. So I think this kind of comes from that standpoint. Maybe they had a lot of money to begin with and now they don't. But anyway, he had been dating an actress um, at the time who was, I guess, an actress of some renown. And um, she wanted to break up with him and you know, you're a bore, I think she said, um, I have been trying things out on you because I'm in the process of writing a play, she said. So I've been, you know, basically pitching things to see how you'd react so I could put it in my play. Hmm. And he said, well, if you're writing a play, then I can write a play and mine's going to be better and it's going to run far longer than yours. And so he almost like started writing out of revenge, which hmm. I kind of love. Yeah, it's spite is a good motivator. It is. And um, so I love that it's a combo of convalescing and finding the book on drama and also, you know, that bitch writing a play about us. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I love that. And so he wrote his first play in something like six days and said something like, um, oh, yeah, when you haven't worked for 30 years, you have a lot of accumulated energy. Yeah. So he wanted to, you know, basically live two lifetimes in his lifetime. And he did. It doesn't sound like the guy slept much. So I kind of see McRae. I mean, he did a lot of inventing. He was the inventor of the Kiss Proof lipstick. That's his most famous claim to fame, <laughs> which I love. because That's great. Yes. But I see McRae as a little bit of that side of him. And maybe when Sturgis was younger, essentially, with these women who were a little fast for him and... Um, maybe had more money or they, they wasted their money. But I don't know that we're really supposed to know who they are if they're twins. Spoiler alert to everybody. Very um, weird. That pays off but at great. the end. And yeah. I love that. Yeah, I love how at the beginning you see like a wedding taking place and Colbert is in a wedding dress in one shot and then she's like tied up in a closet in another and you're like, what the hell is going on in this movie? And he has the gall to start and finish his picture with and they lived happily ever after, or did they? And I, mm -hmm. just, I guess I'm a little cynical on romance, so I don't know. <laughs> this movie kills me. I love it. But that part is great. No, I love the opening and my assumption that we were watching the action that will be revisited at the end of the yeah. film. And and then that, that that's not true, that in fact he is telling you a story that you just, you don't get to hear that story. No. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, and again, my, my opening salvo is not to say I, I didn't, it's, it's a good movie. It's a Preston oh, yeah, Sturges no. movie, you know? Um, I think I like Rudy Valley tremendously in this movie. I think. Oh, isn't he great? Yes. He, he's great in the, the exact same role that he plays in Bachelor in the Bobby Soxer, which is the guy who is too stuffy 
to to win the love of the person who, yeah. who will be taken away. I will say in this movie, I think, uh, unlike Bachelor in the Box, no, actually uh, in that one too, he probably deserves the love more than mm. the person who gets it. Um, okay. I would say that in Bachelor in the Bobby Soxer as well. I mean, Cary Grant's Cary Grant, but like, yeah. the character he portrays is... Not so great, and it's a it's that sort of a thankless Ralph Bellamy, yeah, type of role of like the person who is not left because they are cruel or anything like that. They're just the Bill sort Pullman of role, yeah, yeah, Bill Pullman, exactly. Yes, Bill in Pullman the 90s. Has, has to play that role a lot too. I know. The, um, you know, uh, and again, as somebody who who loves his girl Friday, Ralph Bellamy, whose fault is that he loves his mother. Um, and sells insurance and, and therefore is not deserving of love is, yeah. um, is it, how dare he? Yeah. <laughs> this with Rudy Valley, where he, like, they give him the musical number where he sings, isn't it romantic? And I it's know. Great. It's so and, beautiful. Yeah. You and he's singing bad. it to no one because no. She, she is not around. And, no. um, so yeah. I, no, I did. I really, I really enjoy him. Um, I enjoy, I think the character's name is Toto the god yes yeah foreign love interest whose whose nationality is completely unsettled mm-hmm. yeah um, i know it's great i thought mary astor was really good and i guess mm-hmm. she wasn't very um happy with her performance or didn't really know what she was doing in the picture and i thought she was it's just such a good ensemble film they're kind of assholes i mean that's basically like uh both Colbert and McRae, they're very self-involved, but they're just desperately in love with each other. And mm. yeah, so let's face it, Rudy Valley is too good for her. But yeah, yeah and that's basically, yeah, it's heartbreaking. You know, and and uh, like you were saying, there's a few things. That, there's a, a long sequence on the train with the, the drunk, uh, what's yes. the name of the club? Uh, the Ale and Quail Club. The yeah. Ale and- Quail Club, which has a lot of really great moments, and it has uh, William Demarest yes. um, as one of the members, and and lots of like, um, you know, uh, you're those are people you're happy to see her con very much. You know, she yeah. cons her way onto the train, and then you know basically gets a, a car out of it, and then mm-hmm. um, you know, but like as you brought up, and I I was going to get specific about it, the um, the drunken antics of, of, of mocking and throwing things at, at the black servers. Oh, is, that's a hard scene to watch. Yes. It's a hard scene to watch. If you want to skip it, there's a, there's a scene and I don't think she's particularly berated or anything, but it's still, it's such a waste that uh, Lillian Randolph is in this movie mm-hmm. um, who was in uh, it's a wonderful life. She was the voice of uh, forgive me, but this is her character's name is the mammy on Tom yeah. and Jerry um, and, you know, had this amazing Hollywood career and she's, I think she basically helps her try a dress on at one point. Yeah. yeah um, it's hard. Definitely. Yeah. Hard. And so, you know, I mean, again, I don't think that completely invalidates the movie, but it's, it's no. worth noting that, um, yeah, the politics yeah. in some scenes are not good. Well, I mean, the whole fortune hunting thing is too, it kind of reminded me of this would play interestingly, uh, opposite heartbreakers, which is a film mm. I, I have a lot of affection for I think it's a blast but it was interesting on the uh, Criterion disc there was a special feature with Bill Hader he was quite a cinephile and he was actually cracking himself up reading parts of the script out loud which was mm-hmm. just hilarious to watch but he was talking about how the Coens probably took it 
this from Palm Beach Story and Sturges in general, which is basically she meets the Ale and Quail Club guys. And then it's just for no reason, a movie about them for 10 minutes. Like, yeah. hey, let's watch these guys for 10 minutes because they're hilarious and weird. And then we'll just meander. And so he said something like, you're watching a story build or like a yeah. story find itself, but he just knows how funny it is. And he was comparing it to John Hughes making uh, Ferris Bueller Day Off. A day, uh, and I started to think about Ferris Bueller's Day Off uh, listening to you talk about like the the wealth and stuff like that, um, Hater said it was basically somebody at their most confident was making mm -hmm. this film. And in a way, again, just like Ferris is cocky asshole. It's about kind of cocky assholes, basically kind of conning uh -huh. people. And yeah, it's no, that's very true. Um, it's also very true that, you know, you're right. That movie, the movie, it doesn't stop because it's tremendously entertaining, but if you clipped out everything from her getting onto the train to deciding she can't listen to the guys get drunk and so she goes and yeah. gets just a berth in the train, which is mm -hmm. where she meets Rudy Valley, the film would lose nothing of plot value. It would lose no, entertainment value. No, Yeah. Um, and, but you're right. There's, he's just like, no, 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 I think we can do this. for. Yeah. These are all, by the way, tremendously you know, tight films as far as like none of their running times are bloated at all. No, um, they're all like right around 90 minutes. Yeah. Which is where I like to see him. Yeah. <laughs> and I watched, um, I've seen pretty much most of his movies, especially the heyday in the 30s and 40s. And I revisited uh, Christmas in July, which was, um, I think, the second film he made after Great McGinty. And that one was about 67 minutes. Oof. Yeah. Uh, Dick Powell. Um, it's not a great film, but it's still very entertaining. Yeah, he knows how to efficiently tell a story and just does it and makes sure that he entertains the hell out of you while doing it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and no, I, I think, you know, just now that I think about it, like the ending of the film is truly one of the strangest. You talk about like um, a modern or, or kind of transcending time sensibility. The, mm -hmm. uh, oh, no, we're just going to at the last minute tell everyone that our two leads have identical Twin. twins mm -hmm. for Rudy Valley and Mary Astor to marry. And then that's just going to happen. Yeah. And because the movie's over, you know, I know. I love that. What is your twin doing? Nothing. I mean, who <laughs> knows? It might still be in the closet. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. yeah, We no, don't know. Yeah. It's truly bizarre. It's a bizarre way to end a movie. Yeah. And, um, and so um, I, <laughs> I really have to hand it that it is, it is truly one yes. of the great weird. And again, it's a thing that makes Preston Sturges so special. I don't know, you know, the next time you see that kind of weird, absurdist humor or like maybe, I guess it's close to the same era, like the Bob Hope road yes. to whatever movies. Mm -hmm. um, and again, you know, maybe it makes sense that, you know, he, he was clearly watching cartoons um, as mm -hmm. we learned from Sullivan's Travels. There's a a little bit of that cartoonish absurdity to, to some of this stuff. Yeah, definitely. Well, filmed in 1942, but not released until 43, The Miracle of Morgan's Creek takes the chaotic and frenetic pacing of The Lady Eve and the loopy plotting of the Palm Beach story and goes several steps further to deliver this incredibly daring screwball morality tale 
that in Sturge's own words, tried to tell young women not to, quote, disregard their parents' advice and confuse patriotism with promiscuity, proving that he has quite a way with names as well as one-liners in the film Betty Hutton, stars as the popular Trudy Cockenlocker, God, I love that name, who mm -hmm. spends one crazy evening going from party to party to kiss the departing soldiers goodbye as they head off to war from a bump on the head sustained while dancing to drinking something much stronger than lemonade. She returns home fuzzy on the details of exactly what transpired, only to realize that somehow in the course of the evening, she must have gotten married to someone she doesn't remember while using a false name, which comes back to haunt her when she discovers she is pregnant. The daughter of the police chief, she confides in her wise beyond her years, 14 year old sister and the hopelessly devoted boy who's loved her for years as her best friend, Norval, played by the film's MVP, Eddie Bracken. A very funny preposterous romp which keeps topping each scene that came before it in terms of crazy characters and batty logic. This one makes very little sense as Sturge is bringing up baby perhaps but it's a lot of fun, even if I admit I'm not 100% on board with how much of it feels like Sturgis is laying the blame for everything on the dizzy young girl. Still, it is a riot, and I loved Eddie Bracken. So what is your take on Miracle of Morgan's Creek? I mean, I have a, a lot to say. I, I really do love this. Like I said, it was yeah. the first one I saw. I really do love it. I don't really know if I, and maybe you see it differently, I don't know if I believe what he says the theme of the film is because okay. I don't I don't feel like it. I mean, she's put in a bad position by her pregnancy, um, but it, it it is a vindicated by the end of the film that she is mm -hmm. in fact uh, explicitly credited with aiding the war effort, and in in an ending that again is is really absurd. If it, I mean, we can get to the end later, but like. Um, I feel like he has a tremendous amount of sympathy for all of these people. He does. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of things that he has to do because of it. Like, for instance, she's not drunk. She gets hit on the head. I know. Yeah. I'm not really sure about that, though, because she is. You think it was just fully just hit on the head? I think I, I assume it's a Hays Code thing. If they didn't want to say okay. that she got drunk and got okay. knocked up, they want to. I guess to... I read between the lines there, but yeah. no, you, you're correct to read yeah. between the lines because okay. they they say very explicitly they're drink. There's no alcohol mentioned ever. They drink That's lemonade. Yeah, and then she gets hit on the head at one point, and they're very explicit. That she gets hit on the head. <laughs> um, so I think they are. Uh, yes, I agree that you are supposed to. It is coded that she yeah. got drunk. Mm -hmm. and then got married as a, as a excuse for having sex with a guy. Yeah. Um, Though but, I love know, that you don't really know if she's married. I mean, again, yeah. with the Hayes Code, she has a ring, but like that could have just happened. Exactly. But um, so, you know, I, I think, again, like the incredible, and again, I, I don't think the word pregnancy is never. No, never no, said. you have to figure it out. Yes. Um, so they play a lot of, games i think uh i mean and, and you said this uh at the top but the, i think if eddie bracken wasn't in this movie i wouldn't love it nearly as much he is marvelous oh my god i, I think it's it's one of the best comedic performances i mean kind yes. of period it is he's so funny um yeah 
it's hard there's... to do the stuttering thing as well mm -hmm. as he does. I mean, everybody says that Sturgis would be like such a taskmaster, uh, especially about his dialogue, that he would give line readings like word for word. Even Betty mm -hmm. Hutton said that. And it's like, I'm sure Bracken was doing that, but Bracken was acting it out and he's just just amazing in it. He's, uh, you know, and again, you talk about uh, like a, it's a different kind of subversive um, message, but um, the most sympathetic character in this film, which was made at the height of World War II, is a man who is 4F and cannot yeah. be drafted because of, they don't call it this then, but we would call now an anxiety disorder. Yeah. Um, basically 100%. he goes, he goes to get a physical and, um, freaks out and sees spots, which is the funniest thing in the movie is yes, whenever something spots. Yeah. <laughs> yes, tense happens, he yells out spots and does it. It's so funny when he does it. Um, I know. but it is, um, I don't know how many films at the time were really going like taking time to go like, look at this poor guy who wants mm. to serve and the, the one war that everybody agrees you should go go serve in and like um and can't and mm -hmm. is unmanned by it and um uh, you know he it's certainly you could say there are aspects of him that are the the classic frowned upon nice guy trope mm -hmm. um but i think you know in this case it, it's it's really well done he's such a humane and interesting character um yes so I, I do think he carries the film and I think that has a lot to do with why I love it is, is he is so much fun to watch. Um, I also think, um, fumbling for names here, uh, Betty Hutton's great. Mm -hmm. um, William Demarest, who is in, like we said, all four uh, of these. This is, is so great. This might father. be his shining moment, yeah. No, I think so. And I think mm -hmm. that um, the sister, who I, I guess is Diana I really Lynn, liked the sister, yeah. She, she is so good, and there's just, it's very heavy on, on, on strong performances. It's got um, a very nice framing device that explains, like, how this is all ended, which is, you know, they're in trouble for bigamy, and he's, mm -hmm. he's impersonated a soldier in order to try and falsely marry her in a, a plot I do not understand, like what their exact scheme it's is. It's like inherent vice, basically. You're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the end, uh, to spoil it, um, she gives birth to septuplets, right? Six, I believe is. Yes. Isn't that septuplets? Six is the magic number there. I love that. Um, and there is um, a great montage of this news spreading around the world from a little joke that I, I didn't catch. I, I read about it is... Uh, the subheadline of like septuplets born in America is Canada protests. Yes. Because Canada had very famously had a, um, whatever five is, um, quintuplets. Quintuplets. Yeah. Yes. There had been a very famous set of quintuplets born fairly recently in Canada that had gone worldwide news. So Canada's angry in this film because America has just passed them. But you see, I think basically every world leader up to and including Adolf Hitler Mm -hmm. um, learn about this and be completely destroyed by the propaganda victory, um, which is again, like this absurd ending that, Oh, by the way, we're going to bring Hitler yeah. to the end of the screwball comedy. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's so strange. It again. Yes. I, I love that it's sex tuplets too, because then he gets sex in there a little bit. Yes. You can see Sturge is playing with that. There's something interesting about six or a group of men like that are 
involved in his plots. Um, I don't know how many were in the Ale and Quail Club, a lot more than six, but he loves these groups. Mm -hmm. Eddie Bracken played kind of a similar character. Did you ever see Hail the Conquering Hero? No, I really should watch it. Okay, yeah, that's another Sturgis one. Um, In that movie, he plays a guy named Woodrow Truesmith. And Woodrow Truesmith is discharged from military just for hay fever. But um, some Marines that he comes across, six of them, it's almost like the babies grew up and they became Marines and now, no. But um, anyway, they fabricate that he is um, heroic and uh, gets an honorable discharge and he becomes the hero of the town. And it's a whole thing with the Marines and there's rah-rah flag waving, of course. But Mm -hmm. it's just kind of funny that poor Eddie Bracken kind of played this character again. And I love the the group, the six Marines, which are members of the Sturgis Players Company, essentially. Um, So these movies go very well together. I I really need to watch that. I don't know why I haven't. I think... uh, Funniest scene is uh, other than just Bracken doing various things yes. and, and learning different things is uh, he is arrested at one point and William Demarest, who is the police chief, decides to allow him to break out of jail and keeps dropping hints to Eddie yeah. Bracken that he should escape. like how to escape and he will not do it. And yeah. he just cannot pick up the hints. And uh, uh, Demarest's role is like this guy who disapproves of his daughter, but loves her deeply. And yeah. It, and wants her to, to make this work is, is really, it's a great role. And um, yes. And I love that scene because it goes on longer than it probably would today. I mean, yes. it goes on for quite some time. Like, Oh, I dropped my gun. I guess I, you know, and, <laughs> and well, I'll care. I'll bring it back to you. And like, Oh, I'm going to leave the window open. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And it's just, it kind of cracks you up because yeah, Brack is just such a, up, you know, upwardly mobile, just a nice guy and mm-hmm. doesn't put two and two together. Like he's not maybe the sharpest tool in the shed, but also he just doesn't think like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's, he's just purely innocent. He is, yeah, he is an innocent person. When, when they go off to do the, the plot, I don't understand about the faking the marriage. Um, it, he can't do it. I believe he isn't the thing that gives away that he, he's supposed to sign a fake name and yes. signs his real name because he's just, he has yes. no duplicity in him whatsoever. And again, I, I think if I, you know, there all of these movies are weird and subversive in their own ways. And maybe this is where you and I split is, I think if I had to pick why this one is my favorite is because I would say it's the funniest of the four. Okay. Um, I don't know if you would think that if you find Palm Beach story. Palm Beach is for me, but um Maybe then Lady Eve and then this of the four. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, no. Lady Eve, I think, uh, I, I don't laugh a lot. I mean, it's very clever, but uh, yeah. to me, this, to me, again, it particularly, I, mean, I guess you would say he's giving, I mean, it, it's a very broad performance, but like, yeah, it, I just think it's just so funny. I, it is. His yelling of spots is, I, I God, laugh literally every time so he does good. it. Yes. Yeah. Every time he shouts out spots. Yeah. You're rolling. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Were there any other Sturges movies that you've seen that you wanted to recommend to people or had any? No, I mean, I I would love to hear what you have to say. Like I said, I tend to, there's um, really none of these I've seen in in recent times. I, I, like I said, I tend more towards just rewatching 
mm-hmm. the ones I really like. I, I could go deeper. Um, which of these would you say would be next for people? Hmm. I would say Hail the Conquering Hero is very good. The one I wanted to revisit, and I didn't have enough time to do it, was um, The Great McGinty, his first movie mm. he directed, because I remember that being very clever um, about politics. And it's kind of a Capra-esque sort of idea, mm-hmm. um, like a, a bum that's somehow becomes a... There's a scheme. I don't know if he becomes the candidate. It's been a long time since I saw the film, but I remember that one is very clever. Christmas in July is okay. And they're all subversive. They have varying degrees of success. I don't Mm -hmm. think the great moment was extraordinarily good. Uh, It's McRae again. It's about the invention of anesthesia. And so it was very strange. It was like a drama that's tinged with, moments of humor but nobody really got it the Mm. one i need to watch again because when i saw it last i was like a teenager and was just so shocked by the whole thing was unfaithfully yours which was did you see that one Mm -mm. okay that one is basically was it alec guinness or rex harrison rex harrison okay yes where he thinks his wife i believe was linda darnell i think is Mm -hmm. cheating on him and fantasizes about killing her basically the whole movie and you see him carry it out and what was really scary is i forget which bonus feature or maybe it was in a piece of writing that i read was saying that that might be the most autobiographical or the most uh preston sturges of the characters which is alarming definitely Uh, Yeah, a little bit scary. If I was wife number four, I'd be like looking at that. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But um, yeah, I don't know. I want to take a look at some of these other ones because it's been too long. Yeah. And I mean, I just, I can't imagine strongly disliking one of his movies. They're just, he's so smart and interesting. And they really do, again, you know, you'll watch old movies, obviously, anytime might keep a list in your head of old movies that you would show people who don't think they like old movies. And one of these films would be on my list of, if you want to show somebody a comedy from the forties, I think these are some pretty safe choices. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was really excited that you chose this. I want to thank you so much. It's so nice to talk about comedies because Mm. way too often, I mean, these are great movies that I'm discussing, but they're really heavy Sure. And so this was a real pleasure. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad we could we could switch it up um, from the the crime and death that we spend so yeah. much time talking about. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Well, next time we're going to take on Cary Grant because I think that would be a lot of fun. Agreed. Let's do that. Awesome. Well, yeah. thanks for having me. Always fun. Thank you. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.